0: Morning. I'll be reading today's scripture, which is found in Isaiah 26:12 through 27:1. <clears throat> o Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring you remembrance. They are dead; they will not live they are shades they will not arise to that end you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all the remembrance of them but you have increased the nation O Lord you have increased the nation you are glorified you have enlarged all the borders of the land O Lord in distress they sought you they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pains when she is near to giving birth, so we were because of you, O oh Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. And That day the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Levitian, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we uh, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we uh, we seek to honor your word. God, we seek to give you glory. We seek to give you praise, and I pray that you would, God, by your spirit today, reveal to us yourself in your word. I pray that you would give us understanding and that you would give us wisdom today. I pray that you would send your spirit to convict our hearts deeply, (laughs) reveal to us ourselves as we understand you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, let's uh, let's look at our text. Of course, we're in Isaiah 26, and we start in verse 12. I just want to look back at verse 12. Let's see what it says. It says, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. Now, if we think back in the book of Isaiah, which we've been in for quite some time, uh, this idea of peace is not a new idea. This idea of peace is something that's been anticipated by the people of God. They've not experienced peace, true peace. But yet, they were promised that peace was coming. And in fact, it's, it's, uh, it's a great placement for this because right now, at the timeline of the history of the people of Israel, they are not yet in Babylonian captivity. And so they are hearing these words said to them, you will ordain peace for us. And when they hear that, and yet things aren't so bad, there is not such a great deliverance to be had. Does that make sense? From what will you deliver us? Uh, From stuff that's not too bad. But there will be peace for you, and what you will be delivered from will be greater than what you could ever imagine. God will send you to a place, and he will deliver you for his own glory. What a great message. He will ordain peace for us, for indeed, you have done for us all our works. This one verse helps us to understand everything that he's about to say. He makes this statement, it is true, he will ordain peace for us, he has done all our works for us, now let's see what he has to say about that statement. Before we get to that, we need to remember a couple of things. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Let's just remember what he said previously to the people. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now the throne of his father David, he will sit, he will establish his kingdom forevermore. Now when he says that peace will be ordained... Some of your translations may say establish. That the Lord will establish, he will create peace for his people. And it will be established. It will be something created that the people can have in their possession. He's done all things. He'll do this as well. What kind of peace is he talking about? Now, we've had this conversation before. What kind of peace is really important? For Jesus said... Um, I haven't come to bring peace on the earth, but rather I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division. So the Prince of Peace didn't come to bring peace? Is that what's being said by Jesus? Well, in in a certain way, yes, that's correct, because Jesus did not come to relieve us of physical, worldly troubles. In fact, he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have lots of troubles. Those aren't the things that he came to relieve us of. There's going to be death, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be trouble, but those are not the things that Jesus came to deliver us from. Believe me, everything that he's going to deliver us from, he will deliver us from. He's not failing. He hasn't failed you. Just because you're going through times of trouble, he hasn't failed you. The Prince of Peace is ruling in peace. So what kind of peace has he come to bring? Mainly, he has come to bring us the peace from, or a peace of, excuse me, the peace, peace with God. Let me get my wording right. He's come to bring us peace with God. The main problem that we had was that we were at odds with God. We were His enemy. That is the big trouble that needed to be fixed. And you better believe He did it. There is no one else and nothing else and no other name in all of creation that ever has been or ever will be that could fix the problem between man and God. The Prince of Peace came and he did it. He established peace between man and God. Now, there's another bonus part of peace that we get from him we get the peace of God. We, believers, those who have faith in Christ, this isn't just a blanket, everybody gets this, okay? It's those who have faith in Christ get this. It's a benefit of the Spirit of God living inside of us as believers. We get peace of God. As Paul says in Philippians 4-7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when do we need that? In heaven or right now? We need it now. Now, I know there will be peace in heaven. Okay? I know that. I'm I'm confident of that. Everybody else knows that. You say, well, one day there will be peace. Don't you know that you can have peace now too? that when the world is crumbling around you, don't you know you can have peace in the midst of a crumbling, decaying, hurtful world? You can have peace now. You will ordain peace for us, for indeed you've done all our works. Let's read on to see what he has to say about this. Verse 13. O Lord our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. i stop there. So he's going back and he's reflecting. We've had, as the people of Israel, the people of God, we've had other foreign rulers over us. Right? Just think one great example is when they were in, uh, in Egypt. Okay, was there a foreign ruler over the people of God? Yes, but you know what? He's dead. Okay, we've moved on. We're in a different situation now. I know there's been other things. There's been other people. There's been bad rulers that we've had over us. But, you know, even though they wanted to hurt us, they wanted to destroy us at times, your name alone do we bring to remembrance when we reflect back. Your name alone. Even though there were foreign rulers over us, who was really ruling us? <clears throat> well, God was ruling us, even, even in those hard times, even in, even in the times of oppression. Who was really ruling us? Well, God was, was ruling us still, even though it didn't seem like it. Okay, so it says in verse 14, they are dead. They will not live. They are shades, as some of your translations may say. It's referring to dead spirits. They're just, they're dead. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction. You've wiped out all remembrance of them. Okay, so this is the foreign rulers of the people. But, verse 15, you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. And so the picture here is that there were foreign rulers over them that wanted to destroy them. And what happened instead? Instead, the nation grew. Instead, the borders of the land were expanded. In the midst of a time when there was people over them who were more powerful than them, I wanted to wipe them out, but what happened instead? Because God was actually the one ruling. He is the one that said, but you're not going to destroy my people. Actually, that can't happen, and I will not let that happen because I am actually the one in charge. So even though there's a difficult situation, God is still ruling and reigning over his people above and beyond that terrible situation. You see how practical that is? Yes, it is true and is a historical reality. Yes. But don't you see the greater scheme of what's happening here? That in the worst scenario, when there is a foreign ruler oppressing you with power and authority, right? Don't you know that God is still ruling and he will do with his people what he pleases for his own purposes and glory? He will do that because there is no power, there is no authority, there is nothing that is greater than God. Who rules over God? No one. So when there's a power, any power, it could be a spiritual power, right? Angels and demons and uh, Satan himself, okay? God is greater than all of them. He rules and reigns over them. But think of it at a more practical level. Bad leaders. Bad, bad leaders, it doesn't matter. Whoever it might be at a local level, bad leaders at a national level, at a global level, bad leaders. Who is reigning still? God is reigning still. And what is he going to do with his people, even in the most dire circumstances under the most horrible leader? He's going to bless and increase his people. He's going to bless and increase his people for his own purposes and glory. God will accomplish His works even when you are experiencing pain and grief and suffering. See, we can take this on a corporate level where God will do this, but don't you see that it's on an individual level? In the midst of your struggling, God is accomplishing His purposes. You will not be wiped out with the wicked, you will not be forgotten. Even if the world forgets you, God does not. Even if the world oppresses you, God does not if you are His by faith in Christ. There's a catch. This isn't a blanket statement for all people who have ever lived. can't be. That's universalism. It means everybody gets the same benefits of God. It's not true. God will bless His people. Even in the worst situation you can imagine, God will bless his people. His people will not be forgotten. Even when all you can see around you is wickedness, seems as though God's people are diminishing and failing. You can even look at this world and say, where are the real Christians anyway? I ask that question. Where, where are they anyway? Every story I hear, all these churches you look at, all these people making the news, all these pastors that have done all this gross stuff and you think, where are the real genuine believers, the faithful in Christ, where are they? They're not gone. They are not gone. And I think sometimes we maybe lose heart over the fact that genuine believers feel alone on an island. Where are the faithful? They are there. God hasn't forgotten them. He has not stopped calling people to himself. He hasn't stopped. God will be glorified. God is glorified. We see that in our text there. Oh Lord, you have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. Why does God do these things? Well, for his own glory and purposes. He does it for his glory. For your glory? No. But do I reap benefits from it because I am his child by faith? Yes. But are we in heaven yet? No. Okay, so there's still a problem. So although our problem with God is fixed by faith in Christ, we have a problem here because there's oppression and sin. I am broken and the rest of the world is broken. I'm broken and you're broken. And so life hurts. He will ordain peace for us. In fact, he has ordained peace for us. We don't need to forget that. Let's look at uh, verse 16. "'O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So we were because of you, O Lord.' We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to win. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Okay, so he kind of changes gears here just a little bit. Now, he sees a people who are hurt in in, 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 in an oppressive situation, right? They're already a hurting people. In that hurting situation, what happens is that the people sin. Okay, the outside world hurts I end up sinning because I'm not perfect. I do things wrong. And when I do things wrong, what happens? Well, the same thing that happened here. In distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer because you're disciplined. Without it. That word for whispered prayer is so interesting because it's actually the same word used for when a, a snake charmer speaks to a snake. Isn't that weird? But it's, it's meant to be a whispered thing done in private. Now think about that. Have you been in distress in your soul? And the thing that has brought you to distress is not only your bad situation, but your own sin. That's a double whammy situation. Bad stuff is happening around me and I've done bad things. I've done the wrong thing. And my soul is brought low. And so in distress pour out a prayer to you but it's a whispered prayer why because I don't have any strength and I'm just talking to God I, I, have, I have nothing left in me I don't have, I don't have strength to cry out to you or to sing or even to weep I don't have energy for that I'm beyond that I'm distraught I'm brought low and so I say a prayer in my distress because I have exhausted all of my other options to give myself peace. I can't ordain my own peace. You know what? We all try. We all try to create our own peace. Okay, here's what I'm going to do this year. This year, I'm going I'm to... Because last year, that wasn't so good. So this year... I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to save this amount of money, I'm going to pay this thing off at this time, or, or I'm going to get, we're getting a new car this year. Or we're like, you know, the stuff that has really hurt us, whatever it might be. Now, now, now inherently, those things are not bad, right? Um, I, I hope to have a new car one day, don't get me wrong. I, I hope to replace my car. That's not what I mean, but in doing anything that we do, a lot of times we do these things to establish peace in our hearts because the world is crushing in on us and sometimes we do that out of obedience and it's good and it's right we're prudent thinkers right we're wise God wants us to use our minds to make good decisions in this life right have a job work make money yes provide for your family yeah have good safe transportation do it yes those are good but sometimes our heart's intentions get out of the way, or get in the way, excuse me. And we do these things for our own personal gain to try to create a peace in our heart that otherwise wasn't there. It's been a really bad month, been a really bad year. I know what I'm going to do. Okay? And you come up with a plan. and you Okay, this is going to make me feel better. You know what I mean? i start doing yoga every night. You know? I tried that, actually. I'm not good at yoga, by the way. Uh, just throwing that out there. Just imagine me doing yoga, okay? Um, not good. Uh, we try to create this piece, and it doesn't turn out well. But here's the situation that God presents for us in the Word: In distress they seek you; they are poured out as a, they pour out a whispered prayer when your discipline was on them. And here's the imagery of the wording here. It's the same as, you know, that, that how olive oil is created? It's done by pressing, uh, the good way anyway. It's done by cold pressing. You don't use heat. You don't boil them or anything, but they're pressed, okay? And they used to kind of just spin, you know, a wheel, and it would go down on the threads, and it would press hard. Now we use hydraulic presses, right? Um, and the good stuff, the good olive oil is cold pressed uh, olive oil. and We call it extra virgin olive oil. Sometimes it says cold-pressed on it, right? I don't know if you noticed that or not. Other olive oil just says olive oil. If it just says olive oil, it's a lot cheaper. It's because it wasn't cold-pressed. It's the stuff that was left over, and they use other methods to get the oil out. Anyway, the wording here is as if we are something that is being pressed, and what flows out of us is a distressed prayer that the discipline of God pushes down on our life and presses out of us a prayer in distress. Now, can an olive bring forth oil without being pressed and distressed? No. Same way with us. Unless we are pressed by the discipline of God, we're not going to pour out the way that we would otherwise. We're just going to stay inside. Okay? We're, go- we're not going to have uh, uh, peace. We're not going to have um, a confession of who we are before him. Uh, these are the things that are at stake. So we see now that the discipline of God is, is a mercy of God, is a grace of God, because if he didn't press down on our lives, we wouldn't cry out to seek him. In this particular situation, it was the discipline of, of God by the hand of foreign rulers that forced the people of Israel to cry out to him. It says, if we continue on, Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pains when she is near to giving birth, so we were because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we've given birth to win. We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth. The inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Okay, so he gives us another uh, picture here. He says, it's like with the whole nation of God, the whole nation of the people of Israel, we're, we're like a woman giving birth. Uh, women, you know what this means. You have a flashback to a time, and you know that's pretty bad pain. I didn't even go through it. I got my own little taste of it, right? I, I experienced how bad it is. I know the kind of pain that it causes, even though I didn't personally experience it, but neither did the author here. But he knows that it's bad, right? And But here's the good thing about giving birth, is that at the end, what are you given? A baby. Something good comes out of all that pain, right? He says, but not so with us. We were pressed by the discipline of God, and oh, it hurt. And I was just ready to, okay, where, where is the thing that God is going to deliver out of this that seems good? Where is the good? He says, but we, your people, we were struggling and writhing in pain, but we gave forth nothing. And he says, wind, he means nothing tangible. There's, there's, there was nothing to it. What good came out of this, Lord? Look in, uh, I can read it for you. This is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord said to Abram. Now, this is when Abram is first introduced into our text. Okay, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this guy Abram comes. And, and he said, the Lord said to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. So, pause. Was there any chance that God was not going to make him a great nation? No. God was going to do it. it. It wasn't up to him. He was going to do it. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Okay. Was there any chance that God was not going to bless him? No. He couldn't mess that up, right? God was going to bless him. It was God's plan. It was his intention. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Was there any chance that that wouldn't happen? No, because God said He was going to do it. I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse. And through you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so the people of Israel had this mindset that, okay, we are God's instrument of blessing to this world, right? If the world is going to be blessed, it's going to be through us. So... Let's, let's do it, people. And how good of a job did they do? Uh, they didn't do a very good job. But instead, they had the hand of God's discipline on them over and over and over and over and over again because they were a bad people. Sounds like us. But here's what the people thought. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have still not fallen. That is, there has been no blessing and there has been no cursing the intention you had for us as a people, right? They're reflecting back on the initial promises God made through Abram to the people of Israel. You want all those who bless us to be blessed and you want all those who curse us to be cursed. Well, okay, in all of this, Lord, that we've been changing, but has the blessing and cursing happened? Has the earth been blessed through us? But no, but we thought that through this discipline that the earth would be blessed, there will be no deliverance in the earth. That hasn't happened yet. And there's also been no cursing in the earth. That hasn't happened yet. So what are you doing with us? And I wonder if that's a question that you have. What are you even doing with my life? <laughs> what are you even doing with me? Because I can't, I can't make anything out of it. Don't you know God has a purpose? just because you don't have a plan doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. Just because you're disobedient doesn't mean God is. Just because you are faithless doesn't mean God is. Just because you are bad doesn't mean God is bad. Now, we see this in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, referring back to Genesis 3, the promise that through the people of God all the earth would be blessed, right? So they are thinking that the earth is going to be blessed through them. But then in Galatians, through Paul, we have an understanding here of what that actually meant. Galatians 3, 7-9. Now, um, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, called Abram at the time, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so when we go back to Genesis 3, 12, that blessing of the earth through him ultimately came through Jesus Christ and all who would have faith in his name. All right, so the people of Israel thought we need to be a blessing to the earth. We need to accomplish deliverance. We need to be the people who bring about the cursing and blessing of all people. But no, that's not right. It's it's Christ who does that, not you. And I wonder if you see the parallel here that, that, is, that, is, that is there and that is, that is what it means and that is what was happening historically, yes. But can't you see that Israel was trying to push forward something that was not theirs to begin with? People didn't know what it is they were supposed to be doing in this world. They couldn't be a blessing to people. God is a blessing to people. They couldn't ordain peace for people. God ordains peace for people. They couldn't curse people. It's God who curses. You can be God's instrument, but it's God's the one that's doing it. I want to remind you of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Bring this together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now let me ask you, is it possible that God would give you Faith in Him reveal Himself to you that He would prepare you beforehand for good works that you should walk in them. Is there any chance that you would not walk in good works? Let me say that again. It says in our text that we, those who have faith in Christ, are His workmanship, and we have been created that is, we have been prepared beforehand that we should walk in good works. We have been prepared beforehand that we would walk in good works. Is there any chance that That a true believer in Christ would not then walk in good works? No. Now, what kind of good works and how are those works displayed and how how much is it produced? Now, that's a different question. If a believer is not producing any good works, it's because he is not really a believer. Because it is not possible for those truly who are believers in Christ to not produce any good works. It's not possible. Because the Spirit of God is in you. Now, it is possible, though, for you to be a Christian, to be an apathetic Christian. That is, I just don't want to do anything anymore. Uh, Like, I had my Christian life, like, you know, back when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s. You know, that, that, man, that was a good time in the Lord. But now I'm old, and now I just, you know, my time has passed. Time for a new generation to do godly things. Right? Or... You could be younger and say, yeah, but I'm still a kid. I'll do good stuff when I get older. I'll be a really, really good Christian when I get older because life will be easier when I get older. There's so many lies on that. So there's a danger here. Here, faith is a gift of God. We understand that? It's very clear. There's very clear language. You don't create faith. God creates faith. A dead person can't say, I think I'm going to have faith today. But you can be gifted with faith. You can be gifted with faith. And God can raise you to life by his spirit. He can do that. But something that's dead is not going to respond. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What is? Faith is. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. Here's where I want to get to. What is our intention? Your intention is not to create faith in someone else. You can't do it. You can't create faith in your kids. You can't create faith in anybody in your family. You can't create faith. But do you know what you also can't do? You can't destroy faith either. You can't destroy someone else's faith. I hope that that is a comfort to you. Now, can you hinder someone's faith? Yeah. Yes. And we are warned against that, aren't we? Can you destroy someone's faith? No. Because it's not a result of works. It's not a result of your works. It's not a result of their works. It's a result of the work of God. But the one of faith ought to walk in good works. I want to continue on. He continues to build. Verse 19. Your dead shall live, the bodies shall rise, those who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. Now, all of a sudden, we've had a real uh, change of tone here. All of a sudden, it's not gloom and doom anymore, but all of a sudden, he says, but your dead shall live. What were the dead that would not live before? It was those oppressors right? They're They're not going to rise, okay? Those things are dead. Those people are dead. Those foreign powers are dead. They will not rise, but your dead shall live. Those who are dead in, in you, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light. The earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, and enter into your chambers. Shut the door behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while, till the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it. No more will it cover its slain. Let's pause right there. Those who live in the earth is us. One day, your struggle and your anxiety and the pressures of the world are going to lead to your death. Come to terms with that as soon as you can. (laughs) You're going to die, and you're not going to die in such a way that you are going to be 100% completely fulfilled because you had everything you ever wanted. Your children turned out perfect. Your spouse is without spot, you know. None of that is going to happen. But instead, what is going to happen is that when you die, though the world is crushing in around you, your heart is at peace. And that's why so many who die say, it's okay. If they're if they're conscious and they're a believer, many times what you'll hear is, it, don't worry about me, I, I'm going to be fine. Because they've come to terms with that. I, Listen, I have my shelter. My body is dying, but I, I see that that's not the issue. The real peace that I needed was accomplished in Christ, and you know what? I feel that peace for right now. It's going to be okay for me. I'm worried about you. That's probably what I'm worried about. I'm worried about what's going to happen to you. I'm praying for you because I'm, I'm, you won't need to worry about me anymore. Don't worry about me. I'm going to be in a better place than here. I'll be rejoicing. This is not true for everyone but only true for those who are in Christ. Falsely some people believe, don't worry about me, I'll be in a better place. Sometimes that's not true. You're going to be in a much worse place actually. And the suffering you experienced here is <laughs> doesn't even compare to the suffering that you're going to experience. That's a lie. It's a lie that some people believe. Here's the reality that one day the dead shall live, the bodies shall rise. Those who dwell in the dust will awake and they will sing for joy. Who are those who will sing for joy? Not everyone, but those who are the dead in the Lord will sing for joy. Come, my people, and enter into your chambers. Shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while till the fury has passed by. We've seen that happen at least two times in Scripture that he's alluding to here. One time is the flood. Shut the door behind you, and the fury of God will pass before you. Okay, so shut the door. I'm safe inside in a shelter in the ark, right? I'm safe in here, and the fury and the wrath of God is being poured out all around me. But I'm safe. Shut the door behind you. Rest in a shelter. What shelter? Well, We know that shelter is Christ. Another thing he's alluding to, here's the Passover. Go in, shut your door behind you, and the fury of God will pass before you. But you'll be safe. By means of what? By means of the blood. If you have that blood marking you, go in, shut your door. You're going to be fine. For all those who have faith in Christ, they have entered into shelter, and the wrath will not touch them, but it will pass by. So that we might rise and sing for joy, even though our body's dead, He will bring everlasting peace. I want to just mention this last verse here. This is chapter twenty-seven, verse one. Many people tag. Chapter 27, verse 1 on with the rest of this text. Verse and chapter divisions are not uh, original to the text, just so I'm not being unfaithful here. Okay, we can do that. That's okay. Chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord, with his his, uh, hard and great strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now... Already in your mind, you're thinking, "Okay, he's going to kill Satan." That's that's already what's on your mind. I know it is. That's nothing new. But he is taking a picture, and later on, we see that that picture is fulfilled in who we know Satan to be. Okay, so there is in Canaanite mythology a twisted serpent. Okay, that was the stories were told about a twisting serpent. It wasn't anything new when he said a twisting serpent. The people there thought, I know what you're talking about. And they didn't have Satan in mind. The twisted serpent that they're referencing in Canaanite mythology is this twisted serpent who lives in the sea. He is the author of chaos and destruction. All the things that are bad with this world came from this twisted serpent who lives in the sea known as Leviathan. We have an identification to tag on to Leviathan who we know as, uh, as, as it's told to us in Revelation and also uh, by Paul that this dragon is really Satan who is not really a dragon necessarily. You know, we think of a dragon that's flying around with wings that breathes fire. You know that's not what he looks like, right? I mean that's like that's something that we've that we've created. Okay, he's also doesn't have horns and, and a tail and a pitchfork. We we created that too. Okay, he's much scarier than that. But he'll look beautiful. You should be afraid. One day all that is chaotic in this world will be destroyed. R- uh, Romans sixteen twenty. the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He will be among those who is dead, and we know that he is thrown into the second death, the lake of fire that burns. That's told to us in the book of Revelation. Um, the point being here that this is how God has ordained peace for us. Remember, that's what he said at the very beginning, that God will, he will ordain peace for us. He does this by destroying all that is bad. And he would wipe us out with it because, you know, we're bad too. How can he create peace with a sinful people? Well, one day we will be made new and we no longer will be a sinful people. And so we will live in peace and harmony with him forever. That is not a make-believe story. So please hear me when I say that. One day, all the dead of the earth will rise. Some will be sent to eternal destruction. Some will be sent to eternal life. Only those who go to eternal life are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. But what do we do for the meantime? We live as children of God who have been given the Spirit of God That although the world is crushing it around us, we have hope and a refuge, knowing that this life is not all there is, but there is more. I want to end this morning by looking at a few words from David from Psalm 32. If you wouldn't mind to turn there with me. Psalm 32, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I can remember a time when I was sitting in a coffee shop in Michigan. This was before I moved, so I was young. And I remember reading this, and it said... Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You know, I've stewed over that in my mind for years. For years. I mean, probably ten years. I have struggled to come to terms with what that means. Just every now and then, I, I would just think of that verse in my head. And I'll think, ah, yeah, I'm still struggling with that one. What in the world? Because of the wording. Because it could mean a number of things. What shall not reach him? The prayers shall not reach him when he might not be found, or the waters may not reach the people. What is not reaching what? Because you can take it a number of ways. But here, here here is how we should understand it. Everyone who is godly ought to offer prayer to God at a time when he may be found. When is the time when he may be found? When you are pressed. When you are pressed. And then it says, Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Him is the godly person offering the prayer. The rush of great waters... Um, is any dangerous situation, any, any bad thing crushing it around you. And it says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So though waters surround me, I'm in a shelter, and I'm singing for joy that I've been delivered, because even though things are crushing it around me, I'm safe. This is what it means. Even though things of life crush in around me, I'm safe. But let's back up and follow the pattern. Because this is what we're going to do this morning. I want you to hear it, I want you to see it from David's words. First, he says, "When I kept silent, my bones wasted away." When I kept silent. What is what is keeping silent here? Keeping silent is unconfessed sin unconfessed sin. I kept silent about it. I didn't admit it. I held it in my heart. Because I know that it's there. I know that it's there. But if I don't talk about it and I don't acknowledge it, that means it doesn't exist, right? But in doing that, here's what happens next. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Have you ever experienced that? You know that you're being disobedient to the Lord. And it breaks you apart on the inside. And it's at that time when we feel broken that we try to satisfy our life and give give ourselves peace. We try to have some kind of peace. I I want peace about something, and so I try to find how I can get peace in my situation. And sometimes it works for a little while, doesn't it? It says, For all day and night your hand was heavy upon me. So we have unconfessed sin followed by the strong hand of the discipline of God. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Now, when, you, when the discipline of God presses down on you, it's because He's making something. But he will press harder and tar- harder until that thing actually comes out. He will press harder and harder until it comes out. Sometimes it only comes out a little drop at a time, and so you feel like you're under the discipline of God forever. When am I just going to be released from this? What is keeping you back? Unconfessed sin is what's keeping you back. Repentance. Confession that is what's keeping you back. My strength was dried up. Have you ever been to a place where the discipline of God was pressing on you so hard that you had no strength left and all you could do was whisper a prayer? I have nothing I have nothing left. I have no other options to pursue. I am at my wits end. Lord, you need to help me. And I finally realize it today. I might not realize it tomorrow, but I realize it right now. So you experience conviction in your heart. And what does he do next? I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. Right here is a question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I genuinely confessing my sin and acknowledging it to God? Or am I just moving on with every day like everything is the same? You have to confess your sins to God. Don't act like they're not happening. Does it rob your salvation? No, is God's discipline going to continue to zap the life out of you? Yes. Do you feel weary? Do you feel tired? You feel apathetic towards your salvation, towards your spiritual growth? Do you know that God's not the problem? You're the problem. Problem. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My groaning all day long, and sometimes when there's groaning happening, groaning comes out of my mouth. You know I'm groaning inside because I'm groaning outside. (laughs) You know I'm complaining inside because I'm complaining outside. About what exactly? Are there days that you're just frustrated and you don't even know why? You just. You don't have things together. You don't have peace in your heart. Why? My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And do you know what God did? And he forgave the iniquity of my sin. Are you afraid that God is not going to forgive you? by keeping this stuff inside? Is that the God that we have? Don't you remember, why do we need to confess our sins to Him if He has already forgiven them? Maybe some of you live in that world. You wrongly live in that world. Do we need to have initial confession and repentance for salvation? Yes. Do we need to have continual repentance and confession? Yes. Yes. It's not a one-time deal and you're done. This is the state of the Christian life. I sin, I confess, I repent. I sin, I confess, I repent. Sometimes I go through that cycle daily. Sometimes I go through it in an hour. Sometimes I go through it on a weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis. I am continually sinning, repenting, confessing. And you know what I'm continually getting as well? Forgiveness and mercy. But when I keep it stored inside and I have pride, and I say, no, today's been a good day. No, this week's been a great week. I, I haven't done anything. You know what? I'm reflecting on my week, and I actually think it was perfect. I don't think that I even sinned once because I was keeping track because I, I, I think I can do it. You know what I mean? I have the strength. I, I can do it. I'm a really mature Christian. I don't sin very much. Now, every now and then I'll slip up. You are fooling yourself. There is your sin. Your pride is your sin. Confess it. Be weak and humble before your God. You are nothing. He is everything. Fall on your face before him and say, I have done nothing. Nothing. You have done everything. And I confess that to you today. And he will forgive you. In the name of Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. If your faith is in Jesus Christ. You have the forgiveness of sins. Now if you try approaching God. And saying I'm sorry for my sin. But yet I don't have faith in Jesus. Then tough luck. There are many in this world who do that. It is only through Jesus Christ, that we can have the forgiveness of sins. There is no other way. But we're not done. I offered my prayer to you in a time when you might be found. That is, I pr- I felt the hand of God pressing hard down on me, and something wanted to come out. Where's the good that's going to come from this, Lord? And we always ask that question. You know, how is Romans eight twenty eight going to be fulfilled in this situation? Uh, because it always is. But where is the good? The good is your sanctification. Don't look for tangible good. The good is becoming more like Christ. If you look at verse 29, it tells you that. All things work to sanctify you, not to produce earthly good. Because what good is it? It's going to die one day anyway. It's going to go. You're going to leave this earth. Maturity in Christ is the goal of all things. You cannot become mature in Christ if you are not confessing your sin and repenting. You can't live every day as if you're doing things right because you're not. And I'm very sorry if no one has ever told you that. Luckily, if you've been in this gathering for very long, that's not a problem. Why do we focus on that? Because if I tell you that you're good, what good is Christ to you? You are not good. Therefore, Christ is everything to me. I have to have him every day. I am no good on my own. I need him. I need him. But yet I live as if I don't. When he tells me to confess my sin, I don't. I I act like I haven't sinned. You have sinned. You sinned yesterday. How do I know that? Because you're not Jesus. You're not perfect. You sinned yesterday. And guess what? You sinned today. (laughs) You did. Okay? An attitude, a thought, an action. What's the problem? My heart is the problem. Your heart is broken. It is not perfect. But Christ is perfect. And aren't you thankful that he is yours and you are his? We need him. We need him every day. So what do you do when you feel the hand of the Lord pressing down on you? I confess my sin. I have conviction of that sin. I receive forgiveness on the name of Jesus Christ. But it's not over yet. There's one more thing. Before we repeat the cycle of I sin and I confess and I repent and I have forgiveness. Because you will repeat it. There's one more thing that we get. Verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance there is peace and there is joy because I know that I can't break myself I can't create faith I can't destroy faith but what I can do is I can rely on Christ who does all things and I can learn that in him I can do all things because he is the one who strengthens me what is the call here Well, it's called a confession and repentance, obviously. But I wonder if anybody's listening.